Angela Merkel recently reached a coalition agreement with its Bavarian sister party, CSU and the SPD. Joining me is Jeremy Zettelmeyer and Jacob Kierkegaard to discuss what this means for Germany and for further EU integration. Thank you for joining me. With regards to Germany and their economic policy, what does this deal actually mean? Jeremy. So it's mostly an exercise in continuity with, of course, a completely different setting uh, than we had in Germany in 2013, which is when the last coalition agreement was negotiated between the, the same partners. So, you know, you find uh, many of the same elements in this coalition agreement. There is, for example, a commitment uh, not to uh, create new debt uh, in nominal terms, so that guarantees a continued decline of the uh, ratio of debt to GDP. But this now comes at a time when Germany really doesn't need much stimulus. In fact, the rest of Europe doesn't need very much stimulus, and Germany has big uh, budget surpluses. And so this, you know, commitment or recommitment to fiscal probity is consistent with pretty large uh, spending increases in areas like education, uh, physical infrastructure, uh, but also uh, some areas of social spending, child allowances, uh, an attempt to stabilize uh, the replacement rate in the pension system for the time being only until 225. Um, so it is a budget that contains, you know, um, an extensive use of the levers of the state, some of which is good f uh, for long-term growth, others uh, where, you know, some of the longer-term issues like the sustainability of pensions is is not really addressed. But on the whole, a middle-of-the-road budget a, uh, and plan, a, an exercise in continuity and one that, you know, does uh, get into uh, some uh, of the more critical issues of how to sustain uh, uh, German growth, for example, by paying a lot of um, attention to uh, digitalization and to education. So on, on the whole, I would say a, 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 good, uh, a good deal for Germany. So then what were the major complications? Why was it so difficult for the parties to find common ground? Well, there, there are f fundamentally two answers to that. The, the more important answer is, is political, uh, and I'm sure Jacob will comment on this. So we have had now several uh, coalition governments with Mrs. Merkel as the chancellor, and none of them has ended well for the junior coalition partners. The Social Democrats achieved their worst uh, election result in, in history uh, in this past election. And so there was a sense on the Social Democratic side that the party needed to regenerate in opposition. And as you know, it was only after the failure of coalition talks with uh, two other parties, the Greens and the Liberals, that um, the Social Democrats reluctantly uh, went back into uh, coalition talks. And then, of course, there are also some uh, disagreements on, on substance. So, you know, the, uh, the big one there was refugee policy, uh, where, of course, you know, the whole refugee episode has led to a resurgence of right-wing populism in Germany that particularly the CDU and particularly its Bavarian sister party is is concerned about. The uh, Social Democrats wanted to uh, maintain a somewhat more open stance and what we have now is a compromise that both uh, sides can live with but you know in some cases only only just barely. And then there were also some other um, uh, contentious issues. I think the European issue could have been a contentious one 
But in the end, because this is where the coalition agreement, and I should have mentioned that before, really does uh, go much further beyond, at least in tone and in political ambition, beyond what we had uh, four years ago. In the end, it didn't turn out to be so contentious because the international context had changed. So there was an agreement within the German political establishment um, uh, that you know Germany should move uh, to take opportunity to take the opportunity of of Macron in in, in France. So that wasn't so so uh, super difficult. But then you know the SPD itself, if you like, as a price for reengaging, put forward some. Uh, demands which were viewed as sort of radical and outlandish on the other side, like abolishing the private leg of uh, health insurance, uh, some uh, labor market um, uh, issues. Um, basically, you, uh, they, there was a, the, the aim of phasing out or making it more difficult to have fixed-term contracts without a special reason to do so. So these things kind of kept the... This is what, in practical terms, uh, prevented... Uh, an agreement, uh, a quick agreement, because they, these things needed to be fought out. And the, on those things, the SPD mostly retracted. So they did not get those through. And in the fact that they, on the other hand, got lots of ministries, including key ministries, if you like, is the quid pro quo uh, for that. So all these things needed time to fall into place. Jacob, do you have anything to add? No, I mean, I, I think one really, I would just highlight again, as, as <coughs> Yerman said, that, that there really needed some time for the SPD to make, uh, you know, what was a colossal U-turn. I mean, the, the leadership had, had gone in and fought this election on never going into another grand coalition. But then, I think, to the party's credit, in fact, when the political circumstances were such that the, frankly, responsible thing to do was to do this, they they entered substantially uh, into these negotiations for the better of the country. Now, of course, also for the potentially better of the party, because if they had not done so, you might have had new elections, which much have cost would have been even worse uh, uh, for the SPD. So there was kind of a, a self-interest responsibility involved here. But, but fundamentally, I, I think uh, the party did uh, the responsible thing, uh, but... <laughs> You know, when you tell voters one thing and then do something else, you kind of need to have a bit of a, a time uh, uh, to digest that. And that's what happened. And But other than that, no, I, f I fully agree with, with, uh, with what Jeremy said. I mean, the SPD did very well on jobs, uh, ministries, etc. They did less well on uh, the substance. I mean, they didn't get any sort of... The previous uh, uh, Grand Coalition in 2013, the big thing the SPD got was the introduction of the minimum wage. There wasn't a big policy win, uh, so to speak, here uh, 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 in the same way, whereas uh, the, the jobs got, got somewhat better. But, but ultimately... Uh, uh, I think uh, they did the right thing and they should be commended for it. So just to get into the politics a little bit, so does this mean that now that they've struck a deal, is there a new government in Germany? And what still needs to happen to form an actual government, a coalition right now? So we, we still need a few steps <laughs> because this is Germany, right? So we want to get it right. And so the both, both the uh, Christian Democrats... And the Social Democrats need to ratify uh, the coalition agreement, and the procedure is different uh, in, in both cases. So in one case, these uh, Christian Democrats will have a 
special party conference at the end of February, uh, where hopefully they will ratify. In the case of the uh, Social Democrats, there will need to be a, a vote among all members of the party, which is by now about maybe over 460,000. It used to be 440,000 uh, a couple of weeks ago, but we have had a, a strong sort of surge in, into the party. What that surge means is not completely clear, so some of it was motivated by the party left and the particularly the young socialists, the youth organization, uh, recruiting new members to vote against the, the agreement, but I'm sure there were also some uh, new members who will vote uh, in favor. And, and so this will happen, uh, I believe, in a window between the 20th of February and early March, and then a decision is expected to be announced on March 4th, and then it will everything will happen very quickly. So then, you know, we will have a new government pl in place within a few days. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 uh, this goes to, uh, as, as German said, a membership referendum, which uh, is risky. Uh, uh, you know, you have clearly seen uh, what happened to the British Labour Party uh, uh, in recent years, where you had, uh, because of a very large inflow of very uh, uh, left-wing, in this case, uh, new members, you, you have uh, a leader called Jeremy Corbyn, uh, which represent a very dramatic shift from, from uh, the previous Labour Party, if you like. Now, I, I don't think that will happen. I think the Social Democratic members in Germany uh, have a different profile, uh, despite new uh, registrations. Uh, so I would say that I think it will pass, uh, not overwhelmingly, but it will pass. Uh, not least because if it doesn't pass, then the SPD will be blamed for having uh, new elections that uh, nobody in Germany wants uh, right now. And uh, this, is, this is not uh, something that looks uh, very favorable on the party in the polls. What happens if there is no deal, and especially what's going to happen with right-wing populist party in Germany and their growth? Well, I mean, if there's no deal, then, first of all, Germany, but, but really all of Europe uh, is sort of thrown uh, a political curveball. Uh, in the, you could have, in Germany, a short period of a uh, Angela Merkel CDU minority government, but you could also go immediately to new elections. When I say immediately, that would mean uh, sometime in the late spring. So you would have at least two or three months of additional complete uh, political uncertainty, uh, not just in Germany, but obviously uh, uh, because of the position of Germany uh, in, in all of Europe. Uh, and I think this would be bad. It would be bad for Germany. It would be bad for Europe. And it would quite likely mean, because it would represent, in my opinion, the sort of proof that the German establishment, the traditional parties, can't get their act together. They can't actually govern, uh, form a government. This could very well uh, lead to a further surge in, in the protest vote for uh, Alternative for Deutschland. And this, of course, is something that I would be quite unhappy about. On the other hand, uh, if this deal goes through and there is a, a new grand coalition, AFD uh, becomes the official opposition party in Germany. The largest. The largest. It's, it's then the largest opposition party. Uh, uh, of, of several uh, uh, in Germany. Uh, that means that it gets to run a number of parliamentary committees uh, in the German parliament. And, and basically, there are certain 
There are certain functions that this party has to play as part of the uh, way the parliamentary system operates in Germany. Uh, it obviously gets more, uh, more influence that way. Uh, now, I take the view that that's not a bad thing. Uh, I think we need to be sanguine and say that, look, uh, this is a party that represents views that I certainly do not uh, uh, agree with, and, and I would prefer that they were not in the German parliament. But at the same time, it's clear that because of the, as Jeremy mentioned, uh, 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 refugee crisis a couple of years ago, you now have anti-immigrant sentiment in a significant part of the German population, and that's reflected uh, with, with the AFD's rise. And given that, I think it's important that you have a political system that can actually take those public sentiments and integrate them into the existing uh, uh, parliamentary democratic uh, process. Because it would be much worse if you just try to sort of push them out and marginalize them. No, you want to bring them in. You want to actually, uh, uh, if you like, try to socialize them into becoming a not just a protest party, not just a racist party. But if you look at the developments in some other European countries where you've also had the emergence of similar type of single issue parties that have now become, if you like, more mainstream right wing. This is the least bad outcome, but ultimately I think it provides for uh, the longer term stability of the German political system because either AFD becomes a more normal party or uh, it becomes, it disappears because once you're the official opposition party or the largest opposition party and part of the game in Berlin, you can't credibly claim to be an outsider protest party. Moving on to EU integration. If there is no deal, then does that mean that further EU integration and Euro area integration will just be delayed indefinitely? Well, indefinitely is too strong a word, but I I think if there is no deal, it is very likely that we're going to miss a political window of opportunity which is happening between now and the elections for the next European Parliament, right? So if we're going to get, you know, serious things happening still under the Juncker Commission, uh, it has to happen very quickly. And so I would, you know, that would be a big casualty of failure to come up with a new government. So if there is a deal, how will this new government approach furthering EU integration and Euro area integration? Um, Will they approach it any differently than what's been done before? Yeah, I mean, there will be more enthusiasm and there will be more... I think a stronger basis to also sell compromises to the German public because uh, of what has happened on the French side, right? So uh, in Berlin, you know, the conventional wisdom in the bureaucracy, in the elites, um, you know, on at least on the center right has has always been that, you know, France likes to uh, grandstand on Europe, but ultimately they're all Gaullists. They really worry about France only, uh, and plus, uh, on on top of that, they're not really serious about reforming their own country. And Macron has blown these uh, arguments apart, so he he has given France much more credibility as a negotiating partner with Germany, because, you know, there's no question that he's he's starting at home, uh, so the, you know, French reforms are uh, certainly more impressive than what what Germany has done uh, in the last decade or so. Uh, since the end of the uh, Schröder reform agenda. And, uh, of course, he is, you know, a a committed European. And so 
there is a, a desire to reciprocate, uh, rightly so. And so the, what the coalition agreement does is it, it gives the political space to do that. Uh, so the whole European theme is uh, much more prominent in this coalition agreement than in the 2013 one. In the 2013 one, you know, Europe was a little chapter buried at the end of the report. Uh, and here we have it right up front. And, you know, arguably it, it crosses a few, or at least one sort of German red line, which is, you know, it signals uh, preparedness to, to actually spend more money uh, on the EU budget and potentially leading to a, some sort of euro area fiscal capacity. And it is very strong on, on an, a number of very specific issues that we know are very close to the hearts of, of the French government, so tax avoidance, social standards. And, and so on, on, on these issues, I really would expect things to move forward. Now, what it is not very specific on is euro area reform. So it signals openness, but it doesn't really say what the plan would be, uh, where the red lines would be. Mm, you know, there is some uh, language reminding people that Germany still cares about rules, that Germany still cares about incentives. And so how this exactly then uh, gets translated into actual uh, institutional reform in the euro area is not clear. And this is the reason why it is so important uh, which party and which person leads the Ministry of Finance. Because what happens in the German system when things are not tied down in the coalition agreement is that the, min uh, the ministry in whose competency uh, the, that specific policy area falls has quite a lot of discretion. Right, and this is this is part of the you know the constitutional setup, but it's it's been reinforced by Mrs. Merkel's uh, governing style. She does not interfere a whole lot with what her ministers do, provided it is within the broad political parameters that were agreed. And and so the fact that the Social Democrats will take the Ministry of Finance, uh, that is part of the coalition agreement, uh, is of great significance because it it means that. Uh, presumably, euro area reform will be uh, approached more proactively and with a more open mind than what it would have been um, with the Christian Democrats in that uh, in that government. It may also mean that um, you know some of the top uh, officials of that government will will switch. But uh, there is still uncertainty because, as of now, it is not clear who will become the finance minister. So it may be Olaf, Olaf Scholz, the governing mayor of, of Hamburg. Um, but now with the um, you know, resignation, uh, in quotation marks, of <laughs> Martin Schulz from his to-be uh, foreign minister job, e even that is not clear. Right? So things are a little bit um, uh, up in the air right now. No, I mean, I, I would just say overall, I mean, I agree with everything German said, and, and, but I think if you're looking at the prospects for serious euro area reform in the next 12 to 18 months, uh, this coalition and this coalition agreement is far better than anything uh, President Macron could have hoped for, or indeed the rest of Europe have hoped for, uh, coming out of the uh, German elections uh, in September last year. Uh, you basically have uh, a last-term chancellor, Angela Merkel, uh, with pretty much a clean, you know, a clean slate to strike a deal. 
to, to give herself a European uh, reform legacy. Uh, strike a deal with Macron and, and potentially move the European project significantly forward. Uh, there are, as, as Jeremy mentioned, uh, some red lines in the coalition agreement, but they are, in my opinion, not materially prohibiting real progress. They talk about maintaining the stability and growth pact and things like that. I have no problem with that since the way the Stability and Growth Pact right now uh, operates means that it has no relevance in the real world anyway. I would prefer... But it might be good to reform it for that yeah, reason. I, I prefer that it would be reformed, I agree, but if, if this is part of the bargaining that there are the sort of conservatives in Germany does not want it to be reformed, uh, then you know I'll take that bargain. It also talks about maintaining the... Uh, national control over by the the role of national parliaments uh, in running the ESM. I personally think that's a good idea because at the end of the day, we want the ESM or the EM, uh, European Monetary Fund or whatever we call the central pot of money that the euro area has. We want it to be uh, as big as possible. And the reality is that the fiscal actors that have money in Europe are the national governments. And they're not going to give a lot of money over to be controlled by someone else. Uh, a national parliament rightfully want control, and then we can decide nitty-gritty about the voting rights and mechanisms for this. But fundamentally, maintaining the ESM or the EMF as a uh, intergovernmental organization, uh, I believe, at this point in Europe's uh, integration process, is the right approach. And on that topic, so one of the things that Germany has been criticized in the past for not, it hasn't done enough to lift Europe's economy, um, and specifically the southern economies in Europe. Is that criticism still valid now that Europe is growing? And what will this government's attitude be? There are basically two two things that uh, Germany has been accused of of doing or not doing. The, the first is to not, not stimulate its own economy enough to generate a demand for products elsewhere in the euro area and help crisis-hit countries recover faster and, uh, and, and so forth. And, and so this argument uh, is largely passé. It was, in, in my opinion, never a terribly strong argument because the uh, fiscal spillovers across Euro-area countries are not that big. So this is, this is true even for Germany, which is the largest uh, e economy. So it would have been good to do something of this symbolically, uh, but that symbol, I think, is, is probably no longer needed and um, m doesn't make a whole lot of economic sense uh, anymore. But the far more important thing that Germany has been accused of, and rightly in, in the past, was to, to block certain areas of um, reform of, of euro area institutions. Um, in particular, uh, you know, we have uh, no um, fiscal risk-sharing institutions other than the ESM, and uh, some of that, I think, is, is needed for a viable uh, euro area. And, of course, uh, Germany has blocked European deposit insurance for several years now, uh, you know, with, with some reasonable arguments. So, uh, clearly, um, you know, to do this, you need to address financial sector problems uh, as well. And, you know, an agreement, a political deal on this has been, has been elusive. And, and so this is 
part of the reason why some of my German uh, uh, you know, academic colleagues and, and some French colleagues uh, wrote a, a paper recently for 14 economists, seven on each side, which essentially outline how such a deal could, could work. First of all, intellectually, I mean, what, how, what is needed for it to hang together to, to work in an economic sense, but how it also could, could work politically in the sense of taking the main concerns of each side on, on board. And so I think th that's the sense in which Germany can show more openness. And, and it's not really about acting counter to its own interests. I mean, this is all very much in the German interest. It's about, you know, taking a little more risks, uh, you know, intellectual and political risks, uh, for the for the sake of of really moving the euro area forward, and you know that spirit I think is in the uh, in the coalition agreement. What is not in the coalition agreement is the blueprint uh, of how to do it. The last question: um, What's the next important date that's uh, going to be coming up now that they've struck a deal? When is the last and final date where we're going to find out if they actually have this coalition and whether they actually form a new government? What's the next day we need to look forward to? March fourth. Yeah, the um, decision time on the referendum uh, among the SPD membership. Uh, that's the last uh, yeah. uh, make or break point, basically. Okay, thank yeah. you very much. You're welcome. Thank you.